Welcome to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Didn't Jesus once say that his disciples would see his kingdom? Well, it's been 2,000 years, and we still haven't seen Jesus. You're listening to Perplexing Texts. Why is Jesus Taking So Long? By Reverend Peter Yonker. Today we come to the very last of our sermons in this series on perplexing texts. These are, let me remind you, sermons we sent out uh, to you. Any parts of the Bible that seem mysterious or difficult to you that you had trouble with that you'd like to hear a sermon on? And you sent us many, many texts. And all the ones that we are preaching on in this series were sent back by at least uh, two of you or more. And that includes this text. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28, and especially verse 28. Let me read it for you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. What good is it for will it, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul for the son of man is going to come in the father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. It's really that last verse that's the perplexing one, right? It's that last verse that people sent in. It's that last verse that confuses people. Jesus says, truly I tell you, some who are standing right here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Seems like Jesus is saying that some of the disciples will live to see the second coming. It seems like what Jesus is saying is is that the second coming is going to come within that generation. And Jesus doesn't just say that, he says it with emphasis. Truly I tell you, says at the beginning of verse 28. In the old King James version that used to be, maybe you remember this, verily, verily, I say unto you, Verily, verily, I see unto you, some of you won't taste death until you see me coming in the kingdom. That was, that was a way of talking. It's a Greek phrase that means emphasis. It's like Jesus saying, now listen to this. I'm really, really serious about this. Some of you will not taste death. And what do we do with that? Does Jesus just get it wrong? Is this a mistake? It's very perplexing. And this hard verse and these hard questions give rise to other perplexing questions. Namely, why is Jesus taking so long? I mean, not only has it taken more than a generation and all those disciples are long gone, it's been 2,000 years, Lord Jesus. A lot of terrible, terrible things have happened in those 2,000 years. A lot of terrible, terrible things are happening now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, save us from this mess we say often. I want to approach this perplexing text in in two sections 
this morning. First, I will look at what Jesus is actually saying here, and then we'll talk about why Jesus is saying it. So what Jesus is actually saying and why Jesus is saying it. Start with a what. What is Jesus saying? Now let's look at verses 27 and 28 because they're the most important ones. In verse 27, second to last verse I read, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. He will judge the world. Now, I think verse 27 is pretty clearly talking about the second coming of Jesus. Coming with the angels, last judgment, that's second coming stuff. That's definitely the coming that we're all still awaiting. Now, verse 28 also talks about the Son of Man coming. And because it comes right after verse 27, we hear Jesus say the Son of Man is coming, and we immediately think it must be the same coming, that Jesus must be talking about the same coming in verse 27 as in verse 28. But is that right? Is Jesus talking about the same coming? In verse 28, he says that the disciples will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They will see the Son of Man revealed to them and to the world that he is king. They will see his kingly power revealed. Is the second coming the only time that we see Jesus revealed as king? Or are there other times where Jesus reveals himself as king of this world? I think there are other times coming where Jesus reveals his kingship. For instance, Easter morning. Jesus walks out of the grave, Lord of life. He proves himself master over sin and death. He shows himself king. And the disciples see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his kingdom. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the same Gospel, Jesus stands on a mountaintop, remember? And, and all his disciples come and see him. And they fall down at his feet and they worship him. And Jesus reveals himself as king. He says, you remember what he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm king. The disciples are there and they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. Or Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, the disciples are all together in the upper room. The fire comes, this thing like tongues of fire comes and rests on their head. And they go out into the street and Peter preaches a sermon. And in that sermon he says, The one who was crucified is now Lord and God. He sits at the right hand of the Father and all his enemies are under his feet. He's the king. On Pentecost, the disciples see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. So there are different places, right? Pentecost, Easter, Ascension, those are all places that well before the second coming that the disciples all saw in their own flesh while they were still alive where they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 28. So you put it together, if we want to paraphrase verse 27 and verse 28, it goes something like this. Listen, disciples, my power will have the last, world, the last word in this world. And someday you will see me come with the glory of the angels and I will judge the whole world. But even before that day, in fact, while some of you are still alive, and listen carefully when I say this, you will see in the flesh before you die 
me show you that I am king. You'll see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his kingdom. Does that make sense? So that's what Jesus is saying. But why is he saying it? Obviously, he's saying it because he wants to remind them that he is Lord and that he has power in this world. But specifically, why is he saying it in this situation with the disciples right here? Well, let's look at the context. Jesus um, has been talk talks about this second coming and the coming of his kingdom right after a series of sayings where he emphasizes sacrifice. If anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you got to lose it. What good is it for a human being to gain the whole world but to lose their soul, he says. All these, these sayings about sacrifice. And what you need to understand is when Jesus says these sayings, he's saying it in an annoyed tone of voice. Jesus is irritated at this point. This, all these sayings, including verses 27 and 28, are a response to something one of his disciples has said that's really bothered him. And predictably, the disciple who said the bothersome thing was Peter. You see, Jesus had been telling his disciples that he was going to die. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of the high priests and the teachers of the law, and they will kill him, and on three days he will rise again. And so Jesus has been talking about his death. And not only has he been talking about it once, verse 21 suggests, he's been talking about it repeatedly. It's a repeated teaching. It's a repeated speech. Paul Peter doesn't much care for this speech. He doesn't like this teaching. He thinks it's a little too negative, a little too down in the mouth. It's a lousy motivational speech, Jesus. For Peter, this is a little bit like a football coach getting his team together at the beginning of the season, saying, okay, guys, come on in, huddle up, huddle up. You guys ready? You ready for the season? Yeah? You ready to go out there and lose? You ready to go out there and get stomped on? Our offense is going to stink, our defense will be terrible, and our special teams will be clobbered. Who's ready to go out there and lose? Peter doesn't like that speech. He thinks it's bad for morale. And furthermore, he thinks it's totally unnecessary because Jesus has Messiah power. You think superhero power is great? Peter knows that Jesus has Messiah power. He's seen it with his own eyes. He's seen Jesus walk on the water and then with a word, calm the winds and the waves. Wow. He's seen Jesus give a word and wave his hands and demons scatter before him. Messiah power. Amazing stuff. Why would Jesus suffer and die? Why wouldn't he just use the Messiah power? With a word, he could silence the high priests and the teachers of the law and make them bend the knee. With a wave of his hand, he could scatter the Romans like he scattered the demons. He could, he could set up his throne in Jerusalem and reign. It would be like the time of David. Like the time of David when all the nations came to Jerusalem and bowed the knee before David's sword. Jesus, Messiah power. Forget about this suffering, Messiah power. And Jesus, the people of Jerusalem, they would love it. If you did those things, they would flock to you. They would mob you in the streets. Jesus, you would own this town. Peter goes to Jesus, pitches, 
his Messiah power idea? Do you remember how Jesus responds? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get out of my way, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You have a human idea about how my kingdom works and how my power works. Peter, here's how it works with me. If you want to follow me, you got to pick up a cross. If you want to save your life and win the victory, you got to give up your life. What good would it be if we gain the whole world but lost our soul, lost our humanity in the process? And then Jesus finishes his speech to Peter with verses 27 and 28 to remind him that this way of loss, this way of giving up, this way of sacrifice, it's not defeat. It's not just bad for morale. It's not giving up. It's a kind of victory. But it's the victory of love, not the victory of brute force. Yes, Peter, we walk the way of suffering for a while, but at the end, Peter, at the very end, you will see me come with the glory of the angels, and I will judge all of humanity. And even before that time, while you're still alive, you will see me reveal my true power, and you will know that I am king. We walk the path of suffering, but it is the way of victory. I wonder if you've ever thought that Jesus was a little harsh for comparing Peter to Satan in this passage, verse 22. There's a good reason that Jesus compares Peter to Satan. It's because what Peter is trying to get Jesus to do here is exactly the same thing that Satan tried to get Jesus to do in the third temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember that temptation? The Satan, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says to him, Jesus, you can see all the kingdoms, right? I know that that your father wants you to to eventually rule all those kingdoms, you know, every knee shall bow, etc., etc. That's what your father wants, right? But he wants you to do that through a cross and through all that suffering and through all that pain. Jesus, I got a deal for you. I got a lot easier way for you to go. All you got to do is bow down to me, tip your hat to my power, and I can give you these kingdoms right now. You can skip over the cross. You can skip over the suffering. It'll be instant kingdom for you. No nails, no blood, directly go to victory. It's the same thing Peter wants. Skip the cross. Messiah power. I got a better plan. Jesus rejects both temptations, and he chooses the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is slow. The way of love is always slow. Brute force is way more efficient. Brute force is always going to be more efficient than the way of love, right? If I point a gun at your chest, I can get you to do something right now. A very efficient way of getting things done. Love takes a lot longer but love is deeper. If I point a gun at your chest, I can get you to do just about anything, but it's only going to be surfacey, right? It's only going to be surface behavior. It won't go down to here, but the way of love changes you all the way down. This is why it takes so long for Jesus to come back, because he's walking the way of love. 
And so you and I may say, Lord, why is this taking so long? What are you doing? Please come back. And it's fine if we pray that. But there's also part of me that says, Lord, I know you're walking the way of love. And I want love to rule this world. I want love to rule my heart. And I want that love to go all the way down. So take as long as you need for that to happen. Thinking of Jesus' way, thinking of Jesus' path to victory and how that path of love is slow made me think of something that happened at the, the state high school cross-country, Division II cross-country championships uh, just a couple weeks ago. Maybe you heard of this. It was in the papers. It was on MLive. It was in other places. At the Division II cross-country meet, a girl named Maggie Duba was running in, in, in the race, in the finals, and, and Maggie uh, had her high set on a really good time. Maggie's a good runner. Her personal best is close to 19 minutes flat. And I'm the father of two female cross-country runners. I know that 19 flat for 5K in cross-country is really, really good. In fact, I also know that it's probably good enough for all state. If you can finish in the top 30, at the state championships, you get all states. So I'm sure that when Maggie Duba, girl from West Catholic, lined up at the starting line that day, her goal was to win all state. But as she was running a race, about 100 yards from the finish line, something changed because she came across Sarah Story. Sarah Story was also a really good runner. She also runs around 19 minutes, and she was running a really, really good race. She was headed for all state, but just a little ways, about 100 yards from the finish. Her legs started to get weak, and she started to wobble, and she started to go from side to side, and she just went down. She passed out, and runners streamed by her on both sides, and she was crawling, and she was trying to get up, but she was disoriented, and she couldn't get to her feet. And that's when Maggie came. And when Maggie saw Stara, she stopped, reached down, talked to her a moment, helped her back to her feet, put her arm across her shoulders, ran with her for about 20 yards, got her going so that Sarah could finish her race. They didn't go fast. They ran one of their slowest times of the year. They were more than two minutes off their personal best and they finished in the 90s, well off of all state time. Maggie is a Jesus person. Maggie Duva, as I said, went to West Catholic. Yes, Catholics are Christians too. From the story in M Live, you can see that she went to church every Sunday. She would go and under the sign of the cross, hear the story of Jesus' sacrifice and death, hear the story of Jesus' way of victory week after week after week. And then obviously it sunk in because when she came across Sarah, she knew exactly what to do. Sarah's stories family was impressed by it. They recognized the way of Jesus and what Maggie did because their response on social media was, thank you, Maggie Duba. You are truly the hands and feet of Jesus for us. Now, here's the interesting thing. The story was written up in MLive. It got 21,000 shares on MLive by far the most shares that I could find of any story anywhere on MLive. People wanted to share this story with other people. People loved this story. Why did they love it? Because they see in a story like this the possibility of a different way of living, of a different kind of life, 
We all know that, that life where we're pursuing victory, right, in human terms. We're running like crazy so we can win the state championship, or we're running like crazy so we can get the promotion, or many of us, running like crazy just so we can keep our head above the water. But when we see this girl stop in the middle of her race to do this act of kindness, to do this act of sacrifice, to do this act of love, we realize it doesn't have to be this way. There's another way to live. There's another way to be. There's a way of love and sacrifice. And we want that life for our children, and we want that life for us, and we want that life to go all the way down. There's a reason people are drawn to that story because they see a little glimmer of Jesus' kind of life. That's Jesus' kind of life. And it's slower. You won't finish first. You won't get as many medals or shiny prizes. But you will get your soul. You will know the love and the joy of walking with your Lord. And that joy will go all the way down. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this, this wonderful way of life that you hold up for us, this way of victory um, that is the way of love. Lord, you know it's sometimes hard for us to walk that way. Sometimes in this world where winning is so often given a different kind of a, of a, of a tune, it's hard for us to see your way. Thank you that we can come to this place. Thank you that we can gather around this book and be reminded again of your way of love. Lord, fill us with that way and fill us all the way down. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.